he had just woken up from his afternoon nap. Mom had finally gotten him to sleep. He was a busy, rowdy one-and-a-half-year-old. And Mom was regularly worn out, and Joe wasn't much help. Uh, of course, he had a job, and he was scraping together all he could to make ends meet. There wasn't a whole lot of work for him, uh, because, honestly, uh, there wasn't a lot of new building going on. So he was trying to string together odd jobs here and there. Uh, kitchen remodels and uh, stable remodels and uh, room additions. And he was getting rather bleak looking. They were thinking about moving, moving back up north, moving back where there was a bustling city that was being built not far from where Mary had grown up. And so they were kicking this around. Joe came home a little early that day. It was a little slow. It was December. It was a little cold. And uh, Mary greeted him at the door with the bouncing baby boy on her hip, fresh awake from his nap. Of course, that was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the, the time of day when moms hit the wall, right? And they're ready for dad to step up and help out and... Um, Right then, there's a knock at the door. Joe, Mary, are you expecting anybody today? No, I'm not expecting anyone. And she walked to the door and she looked out the peephole and saw these strangely dressed figures. Clearly, they weren't from around here and they looked rather wealthy and rather well-to-do. And she let them in. And they had quite the tale to tell. They talked about this long journey that they had embarked on about a year and a half ago. They had been on this journey and they had come from the east. They had come from Iran. And they had come a long distance and they had stopped in Jerusalem to ask where the newborn king would be found. (laughs) Mary and Joe were now getting used to strange things happening in regards to their kid. I mean, you couldn't really, you just had to laugh at the birth. (laughs) A stable, some shepherds show up in the middle of the night, angels telling them what had happened. I mean, you just had to start keeping a journal as to how strange all of this was. A, A virgin birth. And they were getting used to the surprises. But it had been a while, about a year and a half since the last surprise. And these three strange men walked into their home and they brought gifts with them. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were gifts that were fit for a king. And not only that, here's little toddler Jesus. And these men bow down. To him. These men revere him. These men from the East worship him. You know, I I picture this as the background story to what we have commonly seen as the visit of the Magi. And we hallmark it, don't we? 
We make these pretty slides and these pretty cards of these three kings from the Orient are. And we dress it all up and we put them at the scene of the manger. We put them at the scene of Christmas night. But most likely, it was quite a long time after Jesus was born that they showed up. Most likely, they show up quite a while afterwards because in Matthew, the chapter we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2, as we look at the life of Mary, we're going to see that Herod the Great is perplexed and troubled with the birth of this new king. If you join me in reading and looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, King Herod was a Jew. Actually, he had converted to Judaism. And King Herod, um, it's ironic in this passage because King Herod, being a Jew, should have been looking for the Messiah. And what we're going to see in this passage is he's not looking for the Messiah. In fact, Jerusalem's not looking for the Messiah. The Israelites don't appear to be looking for the Messiah. Who's looking for the Messiah? The Iranians. That's weird. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if you are looking for the newborn king, a good place to start would be the capital city and the palace. Made sense. And that's where they went. The star apparently got them really close to Jerusalem. And that would make sense because Bethlehem is just a short distance from Jerusalem. And so perhaps they thought, okay, this is where we follow the star too, is the palace. And they go and they talk to King Herod and they ask, where is this king born? And King Herod, being a good converted Jew, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know, probably there was a bit of a debate between the the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees before they gave this answer. They probably debated because there's a bunch of different prophecies about the Messiah. And there's oftentimes not... uh, Uh, consensus on some of these things. And I wouldn't be surprised if they debated this and then they shared with Herod, this is what we think. And we read in this chapter that it disturbed Herod greatly. Now, why? Well, because if there's a king already on the throne, but now there's a newborn king, that's never good news for that reigning king. Especially if it's not your kid. Now, by this time in Herod's rule, and we can look at this in the writings of Josephus and in all these writings that are extra biblical outside of the Bible, we learn some crazy stuff about Herod. By this time in his rule, Herod has become a little insane. 
Now, Herod had done great things the first part of his rule and reign. He had actually restored and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He had built it to a point of glory that was greater than the glory that the temple had under the rule of King Solomon, if you can imagine that. And this would be the temple that Jesus and the disciples throughout Christ's life that he would visit in Jerusalem was the Herodian temple, the temple that Herod built and had restored for the Jewish people. He had done a lot of good things for the Jews, but by this time in his rule and reign, and he died in 4 BC, he was a little crazy. He had his own sons executed. He had one of his wives executed. He had one of his uncles executed. He was paranoid. He was trying to gather and strengthen his power base, and he was concerned that someone would usurp him and someone would remove him from power. And so you can only imagine what he thought when he heard this. Here's a bunch of foreigners saying they saw a star telling them that the newborn king is nearby. (laughs) In fact, this is not an out-of-the-ordinary story. Most prominent rulers in the ancient world, they would... A line, they, would, they would attribute some kind of astronomical sign to their birth. But in this case, it's God who is assigning this astronomical event to his son's birth. Now, we don't know much about these magi, but we do know that they were most likely Zoroastrian priests. Huh? They're not Jewish. They're not Christians. They're pagans. They are far from Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel. And yet they're the ones looking for Messiah. Now, I want you to hang on to that one for a bit, because I think there's something that we can learn from that. Let's get back to Herod and how disturbed he is. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Sounds like a good politician, doesn't he? He's playing it rather coy. Let me know so I can also go and worship him. And these magi from the east, they don't know Herod. They don't have any reason to suspect anything at this point in time. Oh, sure, let's go and do this, and we'll go back to Herod. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And a toddler being worshipped. You know, that does happen in our culture today, doesn't it? But not like this. Not appropriately. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, The reason we think there are three wise men is because there are three gifts. If you noticed, it doesn't say. It doesn't say how many there were. just says magi, a plural term for more than one. 
And there were more than one. They brought three gifts. And so church tradition has even named them. I don't remember their names. I meant to look them up. One is Belteshazzar. But the ancient church gave them names. And the three kings of Orient are. And they came and they visited. But honestly, we, we don't know how many. We don't know their names. We don't know very much about them. We sort of roughly know where they came from. And we know that they were astrologers or astronomers in some way. They were paying attention to the heavens. They were looking for signs. And somehow they had a notion that a star would appear when the Messiah of the Jews would be born. That's really weird. Isn't that weird? I think it's weird. Now, one of the things that we can take away from this text is that there are people who God will draw to himself who are the least likely in our minds to be drawn to him. God will bring people to him that we would think would never be brought to God. Some of you are in that category. Some of you would put yourself in that category. You would think, boy, I would have never thought I would be in church one day. I never thought I would be trying to follow Jesus one day. This is so not what I expected. And that's a testimony to the power of God. That's a testimony to God and his his wooing people. His drawing people to himself by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ. That's a testimony to who he is and what he's able to accomplish and what he's able to do. And one of the things that we forget once we've been wooed and once we get our regular normal. I'm noticing most of you are in your assigned seating this morning. Once we get into our comfortable assigned seating. We forget about those. Who aren't here. And we forget, many of us forget what it was like to not be here. We, we forget what it was like to, to be on the outside looking in. We forget what it was like to, to not be following Jesus Christ, to not be part of church, to not be part of, I mean, do you know that church is weird? Anybody know that? Where else in our culture do you sit for 30 minutes and listen to some Yahoo talk to you? School. And that's a popular place, isn't it? So, I mean, where else do you sing some songs? Where else do you, do you have this type of experience? Where else do you stand up and sit down and have to know the rules and sing the doxology and have communion? And, you know, kids are like, that's it for snack? I mean, come on. I mean, where else does this happen? The church can be a strange place. And most of the time, most of us have become so used to the culture of church that we forget the barriers that exist for those outside of the church. And we forget how hard it is for somebody to go, yeah, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm just going to go to church. And we forget, especially in a small town, because I've had conversations with a handful of people who believe that the day that they walk in here, the church will fall down and kill everybody in it. That has not happened yet. And I challenge him. I'm like, bring it on. I'm ready to die. Let's do this. So far, they haven't taken me up on that. But there are those who are far from Christ and they remain far from Christ. Why? Because we aren't trying to bring them to Christ a lot of the time. 
I love what Penn Jillette said. Penn Jillette is, is a magician who has a show in Las Vegas, Penn and Teller, you might know him by. And he's, he's a rather perverse um, atheist. And if you're an atheist, I guess it makes sense you'd be perverse, right? But he said this, how much do you need to hate me to not try to share Jesus with me? If you really, truly believe that I will go to hell if I don't follow him. I hate that, that quote from Penn. Because that one just cuts me to the quick. An atheist telling me that if I am not sharing my gospel, if I'm not sharing Jesus Christ with people, then the only explanation from his point of view as an atheist who doesn't believe any of this stuff must be that I hate him. So, show of hands, how many of you hate people out there that you're not sharing the gospel with? Anybody? I mean, there probably are a few, but this is church, so we shouldn't be that honest. (laughs) But my guess is there's some good folks that live next door. There's some really nice folks that you rub shoulders with at work. There's some really nice customers that every time they come in, they just kind of brighten your day. But you're not quite sure what they know of Christ. You're not quite sure what they know about following him. You're not quite sure if they've crossed the, the end line, the, the line of faith. And then there's that whole other category. You're pretty, pretty sure that they haven't. <laughs> They're about at the 50-yard line. They're probably even closer to the opposite opponent's end zone. Um, and you're like, well... I don't know if I'd waste my time. And let me remind you that here, right at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, God has put this in place to let us know that he is drawing pagans to himself. Magi from the east. Persians. You know, the people who are the ancestors of those who are saying death to Israel. Death to America. Those are the people that God draws to himself and to his son, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 2. And he has not stopped that project. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I asked how many of you are, are, you are Jewish. And so far, nobody's fessed up to that. Because none of you are. You know, we were all pagans. We were all people who were far from Jesus Christ and Jesus has brought us to himself. And this is something he wants to continue to do and to replicate. And he, for some reason, has left it to you and me to do. Sometimes I'm like, you are crazy, God, to leave it up to me to do this. I mean, can't you send another star? Oh, but Steve, I have. I've sent a star. I've sent the word of God. I've sent my son, the light of the world. You have those things. You go and be the star. In fact, Paul picks up on this kind of language where he says in Philippians, you live now in a crooked and depraved generation and you hold out the word of life like star shining in the darkness. You and I are stars and we hold out the word of life to a dying, dark, crooked, depraved generation. 
Reminds me of that little song that I learned long ago when I was a kid in church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then there's that one line that all the kids really liked. We didn't know what it meant, but we like to do the motions and we like to yell at church, right? Hide it under a bushel. What on earth is that? We don't know what a bushel is. I mean, you know, just, we just knew that this is what we did. Hide it under a bushel. No. And as a kid, with all our guts and our gusto and our energy and our spazziness, we're like, you know what? I'm going to be a light. I'm going to let it shine. No. But then Monday comes. Right? So crazy that a little child's song could teach us so much about what it should look like. What it should look like for us to be stars in the dark world holding out the word of life to a crooked and depraved generation. Does your flashlight have batteries? Is the bulb in working order? Is it on? Let your light shine. If we keep reading, and I wish we could stop here. I wish Matthew would have stopped there. Because that preaches, and that's a good sermon. And you wish I would stop here, but I plan to keep going. When, <clears throat> when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. <laughs> See all these dreams going on? Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night. And left for Egypt. They got up right there in the middle of the night. And so where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. And its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Ugh. That's ugly. You know, this is the only time in antiquity this story is mentioned. So some doubt its historicity. But I believe it happened. And I hate that it happened. And I, I hate that all the boys who were born to and under in Bethlehem and in the surrounding vicinity were killed. Probably scholars estimate between 20 and 50 boys. And could you imagine the scene? We'd rather not. And I wonder... Why, God, did you let this happen? Why didn't you warn all the families in Bethlehem in the vicinity? Flee, run to Egypt. I wonder why he didn't, you know, strike down Herod and not allow this to happen. Anybody ever have a question for God as to why, God, why do you allow this, allow this to happen to me? Why do you let this happen in Ray, in my life, in my kid's life, in my family's life? 
Why did you let cancer hit me? Why did you let cancer take my son? Why did you allow this accident to occur? Why did you allow it so that this thing broke? The computer broke today. Why did God allow that? I don't know. That's a really small question for God, isn't it? Compared to some we have. And you read this story and you're thinking, you know, if they are in God's will, I hear people say crazy stuff all the time as a pastor. I'm one of them that says crazy things all the time. But I hear people say stuff all the time. And they say, if you're in God's will, everything's going to work out just fine. Everything's going to be okay. God's just going to make everything flow. It's just going to go great. If he closes a door, he'll open a window. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. (laughs) And after I throw up in my mouth a little bit and read this passage again, I'm reminded that... um, Babies die when people are living in God's will. Evil men kill babies in this world when when God is accomplishing what he wants done in this world. And I don't like it and I don't understand it. And I have no good answers for you, but I do know. That there are times and there are circumstances and there are situations and there are hardships That we go through in life and all we can do, all that our body and our bones and our brains thinks to do is go, why? And then some Christian comes along. Well, you know, all things work together for good for those who love Jesus and are called according to his purposes. You're lucky I know Jesus right now. And then when we do that to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, duck, okay? Just duck. I know that you mean well, and I know that that verse is true in some way, but there are times that words are insanely shallow when pain is great. And did you notice that this verse, this story is not quickly followed up with, and they lived happily ever after. Did you notice that this Story ends with pain and death and heartbreak and ugly. Did you notice that it's not the next page where we read, and Jesus showed up and rose them all back from the dead. Everybody was okay. It doesn't even mention the names of any of those kids. It doesn't even mention the names of the fathers or the mothers. It just says a bunch of baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. Oh, and the surrounding vicinity. It's not even important enough to name whether it was Eckley or not. We're killed. And those mothers and those fathers and those families in the midst of their horrific grief... All they can ask is why. And I'm sure right after they said why, they thought, when? When will Messiah come? When will the one who will depose Herod come? (laughs) And he was living in their midst. He was under their noses. You know, there's times when we ask why. We ask when. But as Christians, we've got this. And it doesn't give us all the whys. 
And it doesn't tell us all the whens. But it gives us hope. It tells us that this is not the end of the story. Did you notice it happens in Matthew 2? It's not the end of the story. You see, this is where the gospel takes over and runs with our pain because later the Messiah, the one who escaped with his life at this point, will return. And when he is in his early 30s, he will make a fatal decision. He will make a choice. In fact, those who are closest to him will say, don't go to Jerusalem. They want to kill you. And he will say to them, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man. But I am attending to my father's business. And Jesus Christ will set his feet and heart and mind towards Jerusalem. And he will not be deterred. And he will not run to Egypt this time. And he will not call down angels to rescue him. And he will plead for his life in the garden of Gethsemane. And he will cry out to the point where there is very, his very blood will ooze forth from his body. Because he knows there is no escaping this time. And he will willingly go to the cross. He will be mocked. He will be beat. He will be ridiculed. And in a few weeks we will see his mother stands there watching. And this time Jesus will not escape with his life. And it is through his death that he will give life. It is through his death that the great unwinding and unraveling of evil will begin. It is through his death that Satan will be tricked. And the devil's schemes will be undone. It is through his death that the answer to our question, why and when, will begin to be answered. It's important for you to remember, begin to be answered. Because I have a lot of questions still. I have a lot of things in my mind and in my heart. And I've got deep, dark, ugly in there. And I wish I could be more faithful to God than I am sometimes. And I wish I could just go forward and go, you know what? It's all going to be okay. But there are times. There are times. I'm not quite sure I'm going to get through this. There are times I don't quite know. And that's why the scriptures call it faith. Because if I knew, I wouldn't need any. And that's what we see from Joseph and Mary. Think of the faith it took them to leave with a toddler and go to a foreign country. The place where the Jews had been slaves. Think of the faith it took them to listen to the to angel. Say, yes, we're going to do this. We'll leave right now. 
We'll pack up everything we have. We'll go. What are we going to do for money? I don't know, Mary. We just got a bunch of gold. Maybe that'll help us. What are we going to do for work, Mary? I don't know. We're just going to head. Well, you've been told. An angel told me. Remember how they told you stuff? Well, they're telling me stuff now. And we're going to Egypt. The faith to do that. Imagine a church full of people who read Matthew 2 and they have a heart for pagans. They have a heart for those far from Jesus. They have a heart for those who don't know him and they want to hold out the word of life. Imagine a church of people. I don't know. I bet you 10 people could make a huge difference in Ray. I think 10 folks who just go, I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to... I'm going to befriend people who don't know Christ. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to love them. When they have needs, I'm going to try to meet those needs. When they have uh, pain in their life, I'm going to gather around them and be with them. I think 10 folks could make a huge difference in Ray. Imagine a group of people that when they ran into roadblocks, When it didn't seem like everything was going right and they went like, well, I guess we must not be in God's will. Instead, they read Matthew 2 and they realized that a lot of times when you're in God's will, there are roadblocks and there is an enemy out there who wants to destroy and to kill and to ruin and to upset the winning team. And imagine a church of people who's like, you know what? I don't care what happens. We believe that this is what God has called us to. And we're going to move forward in this. And we're going to make it happen with the Holy Spirit's help. He's going to guide us, direct us. He's going to provide for us. We don't know how, but he will. Imagine a church. I bet you 10 people could do amazing things. Will you let your light shine? Will you have faith when you're very... Soul cries out why and when. Will you place your faith and hope and trust in the gospel of Jesus? And will you share that with others? Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father. We thank you that. um, You don't whitewash things. This is a strange passage and we've made it all too familiar because we have little statues of these men in our homes. And Lord, I pray that this story would seize our imaginations and remind us that this was the very first time, the very first time that Gentiles came to Christ. And that you wooed them there. Remind us of the great cost that following Jesus will extract from us. It is a cost that you were glad to pay for us. And it's one that we must be willing to lay our lives down for. So, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would invigorate us and energize us so that we might let our light shine so that we will have faith when we ask why. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we all light up this world. May we turn the tide of darkness with the help of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And may it begin in our own lives as we exercise faith in the midst of our questioning. Amen.